The Art of Leadership Network. He said, I went to the grocery store to pick up my groceries that we had already ordered online. And he's like, I was having a bad day. I'm just waiting and I'm just like, it, they're, they're taking forever to get it together. They finally bring me my groceries. And the guy looks at me and goes, are you a pastor? Because you've been on my, my TikTok feed this week. Huh. And then that happened to him again a second time where he's a bivocational pastor. And this person came to him and was like, are you also a pastor? Because you were on my TikTok feed. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Well, I'm excited that we are on episode four of the Church Trends series. We are going to talk to Brady Shear today. He is the founder of Pro Church Tools. We're going to talk about everything social media, the trends that he sees for 2024, how TikTok is disrupting social media, the best social media strategy for churches, and a much requested subject, the new metrics for digital church. So we're going to look at that and you can download the free team guide for some of the church trends I outlined by clicking the link in the description. This episode is brought to you by church.tech and my new advanced masterclass. So are you still hesitant about using AI? Well, church.tech and I partnered to give you a free guide to debunking eight myths about AI in the church. You can go to glue.us slash AI myths or visit the link in the description. And did you know that Craig Rochelle, Chris Hodges, Ashley Wildridge, myself and others put together a masterclass for you to help you unleash generosity at your church. You can go to advance.westfallgold.com to get it or click the link in the description of this episode. Well, I'm so glad to have Brady Shear back on. By the way, we did a flip the mic so you can listen to the Pro Church podcast or watch the videos on YouTube. And uh, yeah, we had a really good conversation together uh, that I think came out last month. Brady Shear is the creator and director of Pro Church Tools, and they help churches navigate the biggest communication shift in 500 years. He's one of my favorite young leaders, started when he was like early 20s, and he just passed his 30th birthday. But I love what he and the team at Pro Church Tools are doing. So I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. Now, can you believe it's been over a year since ChatGPT took the world by storm? This year, well, over the last year, we heard a lot of opinions and viewpoints on AI. That's why I partnered with my friends at church.tech, and together we wrote a little resource for you called Eight Myths to Leave Behind on AI in 2024. It's published by Glue, one of our partners. You can access it for free at glue.us slash AI myths. And we cover all the common misconceptions about AI, talk about real-life applications you can use today to use it more efficiently and effectively. Go to glue.us slash AI myths. And then what if generosity was a part of the DNA of your church? If you've looked at some of the leaders like Craig Rochelle or Chris Hodges or Ashley Woolridge and thought, how do they do resources. Well, Craig, Chris, Ashley, and myself, as well as Dan Clark and a few others, partnered together to create the Advance Masterclass. It's all about unleashing generosity in your church. You're going to hear and discover how to cast a compelling vision that invites investment. That's Craig's section. How to make generosity part of the DNA of your church. Chris talks about that. And then I talk about how to leverage existing technologies to connect with your givers. Believe it or not, there's a lot you can do automatically that is really going to improve your giving at your church. So if you want to learn more, you can check out the masterclass and join it by going to advance.westfallgold.com or simply click the link in the description of this episode. Well, with all that said, let's dive into my conversation with uh, Brady Shear, and we're going to talk about all things social media as it relates to church trends for 2024. Brady, it's great to have you back. Pleased to be here. Yeah, yeah. We're here at your studio. Thanks for hosting us today. Yeah, okay. you, you made the travel, so I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. A couple hours to Niagara Falls, but not bad. We're in Niagara Falls, Canada, the Canadian side of the border. Superior and, in every way, of course. It, it, it kind of is. You got, you got to say, like, you got to come to the Canadian side to see the falls. But we're talking about church trends, and I've been following you for, well, it's been 10 years now, really, for what has become pro-church tools, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Third time on the show. And, you know, I, I say this in every show. We don't like to perpetuate the Canadian stereotype that all Canadians know each other. But I think it was on our first visit that you were like, wow, your last name sounds familiar. 
was your dad Chris Shearer? Because I went to high school uh-huh. with him. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah, I know your dad. And uh, we met when you were still working at a church doing video announcements on the side. That's right. Yeah, man. Um, so you're here to serve leaders on the biggest communication revolution in 500 years. The revolution continues. We're opening up a brand new year, 2024. Where are some of the biggest changes that you've seen? Where are they happening right now? So, you know, 2024, the landscape of social continues to uh, adjust pretty rapidly. Uh, We like to break up social media history into two distinct eras. So the first 15 years or so, we call that the social graph era. And this is the period of social that most of us are going to be most familiar with. So that's what, 2004 to 2019, 2020? Yep, that's basically it. Okay. So beginning, you know, Facebook opens to the public in 2007. And then we like to mark the change end of that era around 2020. And the social graph era was primarily marked by the content that we saw on our phones being primarily influenced by our friend and family connections, aka your social graph. So a few years ago, TikTok comes around, introduces a brand new way of doing social media. And what was really interesting about what TikTok did was it was the first competitor to meta that was able to actually win. Because Mm. previously we had seen upstarts try to take on Meta and become acquired, Instagram. Or Snapchat comes around like, hey, stories, disappearing social media content. You've never seen it before. Well, we'll just invent Instagram stories and we'll take it over. TikTok was able to disrupt the entire social media scene so much so that every platform followed their cues. And this ushered in this new era of social that we call the discovery era. Okay. And now the content that we see on our feeds is primarily influenced not by friend and family connections, but personal viewing habits, your personal interests, and importantly for churches, your local geographic location. Okay. So break that down a little bit more. What do you, what do you mean? Because I think we've all noticed this, right? Like occasionally, I'm, I'm sort of used to the new reality now, but I'm still like, what happened to all my friends? Like I'm just being fed all of this content irrespective of who I'm following. And I don't, you know, some people that you follow, I follow maybe, I don't know, 1,000, 1,500 people on on Instagram. I may never hear from them in the course of six months. And every once in a while, the algorithm just spits them back out at me again. So talk more about that disruption because I think think we all saw it. We all felt it. Probably we didn't like it because it was a way to connect with other people. So what what would... um, is it all about monetization? Is that what they're doing or growth? Or like, why Why would Instagram, Meta, and even TikTok go to a totally other way of doing things? Yeah, I mean, there's a cynical way of looking at it. And then there's also the one where there's what we say we want, and then there's our behavior online. Okay, okay. And, you know, what I mean by that is... TikTok wasn't the first platform to basically figure out that what we say we want to see in our feed is different than how we spend our time. You know, we know uh, on a negative side that human nature at its worst will drift towards topics and content that really makes us upset and, and, and provokes outrage within us. You know, one of the metrics that all social platforms are looking at is hover time or watch time. And, right. and they know that we will just look at something that makes us upset and we'll just doom scroll or we'll just marinate on it. I can't believe this person said that. Uh And the social platforms are like, I know you say you don't like this, but you're spending a lot of time on this. (laughs) And so then they can manipulate The cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Precisely. So I I think a lot of it has to do with, yeah, we say we want to see our friends and family, but as social media matured, we actually started publishing less on the public feed and instead socials interactions moved to the private feed being DMs being messaging behind the scenes. And so what was happening was these algorithms like, there isn't actually that much to show people. We need to start showing recommended content from leaders in the space where, hey, if you follow this person, you might also like this person, which is obviously nothing new in terms of advertising or in terms of, uh, you know, content creation. But TikTok really took it to another level where they're like, hey, you have your following tab that you probably won't even be in at all. You just keep scrolling and you got to trust us. Give us like 24 hours. And we'll show you stuff that you like. And and during the pandemic, like this was me, Gary. I <laughs> I personally love TikTok. TikTok yeah. has exposed me to so many different creators, different things that I never thought I even needed. 
like, and there's, there's a downside to that to like, oh, do you really need to buy that extra Amazon, like, you know, fun little trinket that it's going to change your life? Yeah. No, but like, you know, one of the big ones was I got into like skincare TikTok and there was all these wow. doctors and dermatologists that were like, did you know this is how you need to take care of your skin? And I was like, no, I've mm-hmm. been washing it with a bar of soap this whole time. And they're like, no, you should consider this. That dramatically changed my life for the better. So huh. there's really two sides to it, negative and positive. Yeah. So it's more about discovery now. It's more about being known. And, you know, I saw this graph um, heading into a brand new year. I saw this graph that really fascinated me. It's when you look at people's, when they view social media, remember primetime on television was always like eight o'clock primetime starts, goes to 11 o'clock because that's when all of the country would tune in, et cetera. Well, social media viewing now peaks in the evening, Mm. which is really interesting. So people are using it less as a connection, more as an entertainment or information or search place. What are you seeing? Yeah, that's 100% accurate. In fact, TikTok's, executives have come out and said, we are not a social platform. We are an entertainment platform. And I'm mentioning TikTok here. You might be listening and be like, I don't use TikTok. My church isn't on TikTok. I do not care. What's important to understand is that TikTok is the disrupting force that every one of these platforms Mm. is following. So irrespective of your beliefs, opinions, or personal usage on TikTok, it's important to grasp that they are the ones that in many ways are dictating this new era that we're in. So they've said, we're not a social platform. We are an entertainment platform. And it's really curious to even think about the cycle of how we've gotten here, Carrie, because MySpace, which was the platform that I was first on. Cut your teeth on. I wasn't there for Friendster. Friendster had a brief like year and then their servers couldn't handle all their popularity. They disappeared. MySpace was like, we have servers that can handle all of you. (laughs) So we jump on MySpace. MySpace was a platform that had no limit on friends. Anyone could join. Your profile was like public by default. And you had these like overnight internet stars that were being formed on MySpace. Facebook came around. They're like, we're going to do it differently. If if MySpace is like the Las Vegas strip of social media, we're going to be like, you know, the more, uh, you know, tightly collared professional place. You can only have 5,000 friends. Okay. This is right. not a place oh, for yeah, like- yeah, that limit. We're, we're not here like for celebrity. We're here for an intimate connection with friends. And everyone was like, okay, if MySpace is a little bit of, uh, you know, unhinged, Facebook seemed like a more stable and long-term, okay, this is proper, great. And we've kind of come full circle now where Uh, we're back to entertainment, we're back to celebrity, and we're back to like, let's reach as many people as possible. So it's kind of curious to think about how that came around. So we had a great lunch and you, me, and Sam from my team had a great conversation about what's happening demographically with social media. And I think we kind of know intuitively that ever like TikTok is younger, Facebook's older, But you said some really interesting things that I'd love for you to share with listeners about how to target specific demographics. Like it's not just, are you on Facebook? Are you on YouTube? Are you on, you know, um, are you on uh, TikTok? But like, you've got to start thinking demographically about how each generation behaves on social media platforms. Can you say more about that? Yeah. So we call this the stratification of social media. Uh Uh-huh. It used to be a new platform comes out. We all jump on it. Right. And there's this very memorable uh, Seinfeld skit, one of the many, where he talks about the clothes that your dad wears, they will mark the year he was happiest about himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His formative years, you know by how he dresses. And we've seen this with music and fashion for, you know, ever. Different generations dress differently. Different generations listen to different styles of music. We're starting to see now that we've hit maturity of about a couple decades now, different generations settling primarily on different social platforms. So Facebook, the stratification there has been, that's where boomers have settled. Instagram, that's where my millennial friends, I'm 32, that's where we've settled. TikTok has been where Gen Z has settled. And very interestingly, YouTube is where Gen Alpha is beginning their kind of formative social media years because it, my youngest is eight years old. So yeah. young, really young generation where they don't even have a name yet. Maybe they stick with Gen Alpha. We were once Gen Y, then we got a fun name with right. Millennials. Sorry, Gen Z, you didn't get a cool name. Sorry, Gen yeah. Z. And Gen Alpha, if they keep that name, they're not really allowed social platforms yet, uh-huh. but they're all on YouTube, which has shorts. And so they're all on YouTube shorts. I see this with all of my friends' kids. That's where they're kind of fine. So you have like your formative years online on a certain platform. And it's like, what, do you, what, what happens on fashion and music? It's always almost like a rebellion to 
the previous era, right? Like right. we wore skinny jeans as millennials. Uh-huh. Gen Z is like, we're going to relax the denim as much as we can oh, yeah, yeah. as an affront to the previous generation. And so what happens is TikTok comes around and it becomes this platform that has not been infiltrated by millennials already. It hasn't been around for 15 years and, oh, Facebook, I've got memories from 15 years ago. It's brand new. And so a new generation makes it all their own. And so we used to think about these different platforms in terms of their specialties. Instagram was for pictures. Facebook was for connection. Yep. Now we can think of it as not about what each platform does as a specialty or as an art form because they all have feature parity. Now it's about the audience and the age demos that are on them. So we missed Gen X in that. Where where where's my generation? Well, don't Fairly we always? Is yeah, that I know, I know. The, the I just forgotten generation. For all the Gen I apologize. Yeah, like, you know, we're like where. Requisite uh, apologies to Gen X for always being overlooked and forgotten. We're going to tuck you in with, with Facebook. Okay. So we're on Facebook. Not so much. That was really interesting, you know, because I did a survey, uh, unscientific survey of pastors. And I have a lot of like next-gen pastors, 30s and 40s, sort of in the Art of Leadership Academy. And I said, where do you go? And the number one answer was Facebook, hands down. Instagram was second. TikTok was like barely registering. Well, so that's interesting. And I don't know that you found this or not, but for churches that advertise or people that advertise, um, where are you getting the best ROI these days? Well, I mean, what's so fascinating about this is that we've actually stopped all of our social media ad spend. Have you? Because these new discovery algorithms, which is where the discovery era gets its name, are basically exposing us and exposing the churches that we work with to all of these new audiences without having to spend a dime. So let me give you okay. an example of this. So there's one church that we start working with, smaller church, and the pastor and I are talking on a call, and he says, I just want people in my community to know our church is here. We've been here for 40 years, and people are like, oh, what's your church? Oh, is it that building? Like, they don't even know. And yeah. I was like, okay. So we start creating content for them. We take their sermons. We turn them into like vertical videos. We publish them to all of these platforms where they have discovery algorithms now. So Facebook Reels, Instagram Reels, TikTok, YouTube Shorts. Within 30 days, this pastor has come back to me and he said, I went to the grocery store to pick up my groceries that we had already ordered online. And he's like, I was having a bad day. I'm just waiting and I'm just like, it, they're, they're taking forever to get it together. They finally bring me my groceries. And the guy looks at me and goes, are you a pastor? Because you've been on my, my TikTok feed this week. Huh. And then that happened to him again a second time where he's a bivocational pastor. And this person came to him and was like, are you also a pastor? Because you were on my TikTok feed. So that- That's funny. That's these discovery Can't algorithms. Can't have a bad day, pastor. Sorry. This is what I have to remind myself on a regular basis is if I'm having a bad day on a flight at an airport at uh, a restaurant, it's like, you got to smile. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is why I work online and never leave. You know? <laughs> like I see you've, you've been globetrotting, you know, you've been gallivanting around the that's globe. Right. You just like, stay right here in Niagara Falls. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's really good. So how do you do that? And I know you've got a whole thing, but- People are like, like, let's talk about hacking that. Because we were talking about that at lunch again as well. And I think it's it's fascinating. So most of us, we just post. Maybe we find a hashtag or something like that. How do you create content that gets discovered? So we always like to give the prerequisite that, hey, churches, you've got fewer resources, smaller budgets, fewer creative minds at your church relative to a business or organization, but you have an advantage that virtually no industry has. And that is your senior leader is spending a huge part of their week, if not the majority, creating content for a sermon. Which means after we all started filming in the pandemic, if we weren't already, we're all sitting on a gold mine of content that we can repurpose for social media. The key is, of course, that one minute segment that let's say we pull from the sermon and we post as a vertical video on social it's absent the other 29 or 39 minutes of context from that full-length message. So what we tell pastors is, you want to look for the intersections of faith and culture. Where can the good news cross paths with the lived experience of the typical person in your community? Hmm. So that when you publish that piece of content, it has the ability to reach a broad audience because it is broadly applicable. It can't just be so insider baseball that a person without affiliation with Christian faith, can't approach it. But it also can't be so disconnected from the Christian faith that it's like, oh, clearly you're just doing that to like reach people. The great right. thing about scripture is that it is 
broadly applicable to all people in all time periods, whether it's hope, purpose, eternity, forgiveness, parenting, finances, pull from any one of those categories. And then what we do is we write a, a hook, inject that into the first three seconds of the video. So this is just a title on the screen that would say something like, you know, three words you never want to say to your kids as a parent. Right. I got to know those three words. So that's the hook that then pulls you into the clip that then, and you know, you've had some success in getting very small churches uh, like to blow up on social. So talk about the hook and the value of the hook, because I've seen a million social clips, but some of the, sometimes it takes 10, 20 seconds to figure out what they're even talking about. What's the value of a hook? Well, the value of a hook is that it instantly contextualizes the post. You need to make a promise to somebody. Attention is the most valuable commodity that you can mm -hmm. possess. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how great your story is. We have the best story ever told if no one's listening. So you have to basically earn that attention. So we do that with these hooks where we're basically making a promise to the person holding their phone and saying, hey, if you give us the next 20, 30, 60 seconds of your time, this is what we are going to tackle. And if that promise is compelling enough, then they give us their time. And then it's now our responsibility for that piece of content to deliver on that promise. It's pretty easy, relatively, to make write a great hook, but can you follow through on that promise? You know, if, if I right. say three words that you shouldn't say to your kids, like, not only do you need to tell me those three words in this video, but hopefully they're, like, giving me that eureka, aha moment. They're not just like, hey, don't curse at your children. Like, okay, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, so this is interesting. I've talked to a number of pastors and, and, and basically the programming staff around them and there are some pastors who are starting to write their messages with social in mind. Is that something you advise? Is that something you think, oh, no, that can get really weird if you're in the room? And if you would do it, how would you do that? Yeah, so this question comes up pretty commonly with churches when we begin working with them. What we always say to them is, we don't want you to feel the need to adjust what you're doing in person for online. Mm. That's our job. That's the person that's working on social. That's their job. You've got to... 30 to 40 minute message, let's say. There is gold in there, I promise you. It's our job to find it. Now, with that being said, what tends to happen is churches will kind of see the content that tends to perform well online, and then that will inform what they write next. It, it, it's just natural that that would happen. Right. Here's an example. There's this one church, and they were following some of our uh, tactics and strategies that we teach on our YouTube channel. And what they found was the content that was resonating the most with their audience was parenting content. And okay. they got on TikTok pretty earlier, uh, pretty early. And this is uh, one church in, in Texas. And we have a whole podcast interview with them if you want to dive into their story. But we'll link to it in the show notes. They basically noticed that when they published parenting content, that was what was really driving engagement online. And so then if you go to their Inst uh, Instagram or TikTok, what you'll see is like, it's just all parenting content. So I asked them like, do you guys like preach like exclusively on parenting now? They're right. like, no, but like that was what was performing well on social. So now people come to us and they're like, what, is Bible, what does the Bible say about being a good mother? What does the Bible say about being a good father? Hey, there's no endless things that we can talk about related to that subject matter. So they just kept going to the well. So we say this about social, repeat the best, forget the rest, continue to test. Hmm. When you have, so is that a good strategy? I'm, I'm trying to figure out, are you saying they should have done that? Just more yeah. and more parenting stuff? Yeah, I, we absolutely. Okay. So long as we don't forget that continue to test addendum because you will try things on social and they'll bomb. That's okay. Don't feel like you have to do it again. Like if you're publishing quote posts and they're just not connecting, okay, mm. great. Just you, you've done it enough. You, you gave it a good chance. Try something new. If you have something that hits, you can go back to that again and again. That format, that subject matter, but don't forget to continue to test because there was a time when that hit of a post or that subject matter that really seems to resonate with your church or with your community, you weren't aware of it yet. So what subject matter, what angle on faith, what way of presenting the gospel have you not yet uncovered because you, you haven't continued like testing that? So we always keep, you know, 10% of our, of our social calendar. Like, let's just try something we haven't done before yet. And we were talking about some of those posts at lunch, like stuff that we haven't done before, but seems to be trending online. Let's try it. And if it bombs, it bombs. It was only 10% of the calendar. Let's give us some more examples, more examples of like experimenting and content that's connecting. Yeah, certainly. So uh, we, I will say, parenting content just seems to work for every church all the time. Uh, so feel free if you have not yet exhausted that, 
to to go to it. It's it's outstanding. So let me drill down on that then before we get to the other ones, because I think one of the challenges is if you think about parenting content, most churches would do maybe one parenting series a year. And then maybe there's an odd story or illustration. And so that's a twelfth of the calendar. Does that mean that your social feed just keeps going back to that series? Or what do you do when your next series is on prayer or the next series is on, you know, the book of James or uh, the Gospel of Matthew or something like that. Like, how do you how do you navigate all that? Yeah, so you mentioned it right there. You said an offhand illustration. Mm. This is something that we have come to realize working with, you know, all these churches one-on-one is that it's not the content the pastor expects that we pull from the message. Oh, yeah. And, he, and, and, and sometimes pastors are like, you know, it's because my, maybe my, my scripted stuff or my notes, they're not as good. It's the stuff that's off the cuff, you know. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit or maybe it's just the fact that, like, that's the best stuff. But that's not what I really wanted to take away from this message. It was this point specifically. And I always remind them of how directors tend to work. And I was listening to, uh, you know, a, a reaction pod to a David Fincher film this morning. And I was talking about one of the climactic moments where they told one actor to do something and they didn't tell the other actor that he was going to do it. These are professional actors, some of the best actors, like Academy Award winners, and they purposely wanted to get the reaction from the other actor that he didn't know what his, you know, other guy was going to do. Because even in filmmaking, it's often the improvised, the unexpected that's driving the realist responses. Why? Because it's real. So what happens is you've got all your notes, and then in the moment you decide to go down what, you know, the pastor calls it's the the bunny trail or the the rabbit hole, and you just start talking about something. And when we watch that back, and this is what's so valuable about having, like, someone that watches from afar, we're almost like the proxy for the social media Uh audience. You can get so close to creative work that you can't really, like, see it with fresh eyes. We pull something out and we're like, that was the that was the moment right there. He's like, that wasn't even in my original notes. And so once you can start looking for goes. that, you don't have to manufacture it in the actual message. Cause it, you know, it sounds like that's a bit of the resistance point. Like, do I have to like put this in? No, let it be organic. That stuff will come out. Okay. That's super helpful. What else is like connecting right now? So we've found really short vertical videos are doing really well. And so what the tagline we encourage with our team is like, work harder to make the video shorter. One of my favorite quotes, and I'll try to do this off the top of my head, is Mark Twain. He says, I sat down to write a short letter, didn't have time, so I wrote a long letter instead. Yeah. Yeah. Is that condensing to uh, condensing thoughts and ideas into something that's shorter is actually more challenging. Sometimes we see churches that are like, why was this video only 30 seconds when it could have been 60? And I was like, well, 30, if it gets the whole thought through, is actually superior. So we're working harder to make videos shorter, for sure. Uh, another thing that we are uh, working with is carousel posts. Mm-hmm. And carousel posts, at least on Instagram, have a really valuable place in the social calendar because when someone opens the app, they might see slide one and maybe they don't interact with it. Right. Then they'll open the app later that day and they'll see slide two. And they get kind of a second chance at a post that they initially neglected. So we see on our carousel posts, huge engagement. And for pastors, these are great because you can basically take long form text and turn them into multiple posts. And like take- the old blog post is just eight slides now, right? With a Precisely. single sentence. You know, and that's funny because the algorithm does that to me. I'll click on a carousel, which is the swipe left things, if you're wondering. And we'll, we'll link to some examples in the show notes from, from your team. But what's really fascinating is, you know, I've been through one or two and then I get distracted and the next day they're back and I pick up where I left off. So that's something the algorithm is serving up right now. How do you, uh, because I can imagine we have so many communicators listening to this podcast or watching and I can see them saying, but my thought can't be reduced to 30 seconds. You know, it's more complex. It needs a setup and you need to make the point. Um, What would be an example of something that would be a thoroughly excellent, 10 or 15 second reel. So one thing that we've begun experimenting with, and this is this is brand new on your show. So we haven't even talked to our audience about this yet. Okay. Uh, cool. Is we will take, let's say that same hook, three words that you should never say to your kids. And we'll put that on the screen and we'll make that the entire video with just a single prompt on screen that says, read the caption. So say, you know, three words to not say to your kids, read the caption. And we'll make that, video five seconds long. And then the caption is, let's say, 2,000 characters where we're diving into that thought, which you can rip straight from your notes, let's say, if you have something pre-written, or dig into the archives. This is one more other important point before I get back to this specific content format. 
We're not trying to take your messages and create recaps with these videos. We're using your sermons as source material to create standalone pieces of content. And this is something pastors often miss. It's like, hey, the video that we made, it wasn't the really core point of the sermon. And I said, that's intentional. We pulled something else from it because- That was interesting. And that's what makes your archives like a goldmine of material. So you can reach into like, oh, a year ago, I preached a message, you know, go back to it. Mine the, you know, the well for something else. But back to that content format, you know, we take those 2000 characters, it's in the caption. Why does this content format work? Well, because when someone clicks the caption to read through, what are these three words and why? And you can go into depth there. You've got like 2000 characters, let's say. The video that's only five seconds long is looping seamlessly. The audio beat that's looping on beat is happening. And so the signal that Al- uh, that Instagram is seeing is, man, this video got rewatched like 3X on average relative to a longer form video. Now I will say, okay, let's be let's be honest here. This, I'm actually surprised Instagram is still letting this happen. Right. This specific format, like uh, it does kind of feel like something that's like gaming the algorithm. Sometimes we think of the algorithm as, you know, like the all-knowing AI that's running all of our lives. Sometimes it is as simple as like, you know, dog with a clicker. <laughs> okay stratification of platforms. So Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, according to generations, what do you do? Like if you want to reach young families, do you go double down on Instagram? If most of your congregation, I would think this would be the case for a lot of people, is on Facebook. Do you just stick with Facebook? Do you keep posting to all platforms? Like how do you handle that when, and I think you're right. Um, It's gone from everyone's everywhere to, no, we've stratified now by generation on platforms. So what do you do with that if you're a leader trying to get your message out? Yeah, the age-old uh, age question. Do you make choices for the audience you have now or change to a hypothetical audience that you know you need to reach because your church is aging? I mean, it's it's what yeah. almost every small and mid-sized church, the ones that we focus on serving, are, are dealing with. At least on social, there are some benefits for us. Talked about TikTok being the disrupting force that every other platform is following. What that means is if we create one vertical video, we can publish that to Facebook Reels, Instagram Reels, TikTok, and YouTube Shorts. Back in the day, you could watch my videos, read my posts, and I would say, don't don't cross-post. Every platform has their own specialty. You can't just take a Facebook post and publish it to Instagram and expect it to perform similarly. It won't. But now that these discovery algorithms are driving everything and vertical video is the, the format that every platform wants more of, one post can now go to four different platforms. So when we start working with a church, they'll say like, what platform do you think will perform best for us? And honestly, I can never give them a straight answer. We have seen churches where YouTube shorts was the one that they gained the most traction. Others, they're like, we're an older church and yet TikTok is where people are recognizing us from. Wow. Facebook and Instagram, maybe a little less surprising because Facebook has been the platform that most churches have the biggest audience on. Yep. And Instagram, hey, us millennials, the ones that were disappearing from church, we're all starting to come back to church because we had kids and we were like, you know what? I need the Lord again. And so, (laughs) you know, that platform making sense for, for young families and churches also tracks. So church leaders aren't always the earliest adopters. Can we just say that? Uh, You know, we're not really um, ahead of trends. We tend to be a little bit behind. What are some trends that you think church leaders can afford to overlook right now? And then what are some trends you think they can't afford to overlook right now? So my, my unpopular opinion on this has always been, I will always choose present application over future speculation. Hmm. And this is something that continually rubs my audience the wrong way because they will come to me and they will say, what are your predictions for the next social platform? And I'll look at them and I'll say, I don't care because there is so much opportunity on these platforms right now. And I always make a a real estate analogy. I will also make the Canadian pioneer analogy because we've got two Canadians Uh in the room right now. You know, look, people came to this country and for whatever reason, they were like, I don't care how cold it is. We're going to find a way to live here. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And what they had to do was they settled on land and then they said, this is where we're living and we're going to figure this out. So we've settled all the land on the globe. The internet is still, we're still figuring out all this new land. And every time a new platform comes up, it's like we just made it to a new state that is yet to be settled, a new part of the world that is yet to be settled. And it's like, look at all this amazing real estate. And everyone wants to buy it up. That's like this. And we're in this place where it's like, hey, there is all this amazing land. It is cheap. The real estate, it hasn't been. And you're going, yeah, but what's over this next hill? Right. Like, I don't know. We're here now. Do it here now. Because the inverse to your question is like, what can churches not afford to ignore? The platforms that right now 
everyone is using to reach new audiences. The, the platforms that pivoted and basically said, if you are a local organization like a church, we are going to disproportionately distribute your content in a five to 10 mile radius of your church's building. And, and so forget about what's next. Like go and serve and work on these platforms now because the opportunity is immense. So who is that that's serving you up if you're local? Which platform is doing that right now? All the platforms with discovery them. algorithms. So Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok all have heavy local components. So to if them. you hashtag Niagara Falls where we are right now, you hashtag don't have to hashtag Toronto. because nope. your account is based in a certain location. Oh, okay. Like, so they, they, they know, know where you are. They yeah. know. And, and not because they're like tracking you, but because you told them. Like, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, any trends? So that's that's really good. And if you think about going all in on Be Real, like whatever happened to Be Real? It had its 30 seconds and kind of disappeared. Threads, I don't know what you do with threads, but it was exciting for July of last year and that was about it. Well, and, and to the stratification that we've talked about, mm -hmm. Threads, while I don't see a future for it being like the next big global platform, yeah. and those might be behind us for, for a while, Threads is starting to carve out like, hey, we're not going to replace Twitter, but like people like us for this reason. And they're starting to carve out like an audience that's like, hey, we're going to stick around. Which who's, is Who's hanging out on threads? Uh, you know, broadly speaking, a lot of maybe the left-leaning political folks that okay. felt like X kind of turned their back on them. But there's a ton of creatives on threads that are, creatives love new social platforms because they haven't been like marketed to death yet. And so they're kind of like, oh, I can just like have, be my creative free-flowing self right now. Of course, that will not last, but. Any trends that they shouldn't overlook? You've kind of answered both with that question. You know, don't worry about what's next. Focus about what's right now. Mm -hmm. um, anything else that comes to mind in that category? Yeah. We've talked about the stratification of social. Yeah. There is one platform that just has every generation on it, and that is YouTube. Right. YouTube has been around since 2005. So it's, you know, coming up on its 20th birthday which seems like a lot, but is still... It, YouTube in the culture, I think, is dramatically overlooked for its power and influence. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the vice grip that YouTube has on every generation. We talked about Gen Alpha kind of like getting their start in social on the YouTube Kids app and now YouTube Shorts. And then YouTube is also the platform that if I talk to my grandparents, they're like, oh yeah, I watch your YouTube videos, yep. grandson, when you post them because they're freely accessible on the internet. I don't need an account. I can easily access them. YouTube has continued to support its creators unlike any other platform. And so you have some of the best content on there because people actually can make a living on it. Where other platforms are kind of just getting like the leftovers from creators because they can't really earn a living there unless they're doing brand deals, let's say, or things like that. YouTube is already probably being used by your church as an archive, but yep. there's so much more that can be done. I would point to both Life Church and Elevation that are following the strategy where they will basically find a six to 15 minute portion of the message. They'll take that out and they'll retitle it. So let's imagine you were doing a, a post about, uh, you know, Jesus's death and Judas's betrayal. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, the title of that sermon series is like, you know, Gravedigger or some, <laughs> yeah, some yeah. ridiculous sermon series title that we give. Well, that's not search indexable whatsoever. But if we took that one part and said, all right, we're going to make this video. It's going to be called How to Handle Betrayal. Now, that is something that is search worthy. Yeah. We're going to create a new thumbnail with our pastor's face and then big text like How to Handle Betrayal. And we're going to publish that on our channel. Now, in the same way we've talked about vertical video repurposing your sermons, you're repurposing your sermons for YouTube in kind of a medium format. Right. And this is what podcasters have been doing way before churches have followed suit. Right, taking an excerpt. We sit down for two hours, mm -hmm. and look, there's a lot of great conversation in a Joe Rogan. Let, where, let's pull out one piece and then republish that. So anything else on social that you think we should cover? We covered quite a bit. I think the biggest question that people have about social is... And I know it's the biggest question because for 15 years they've been asking me his, you know, cool post, but like, how does this help our in-person ministry? <laughs> and I will be honest, yeah. in the era of social graph, it was very challenging to answer. In the discovery era, it's a lot more straightforward. So if you will, I have actually created this framework for this. We call it the social ministry mountain. Talk about it. If you want to download the PDF, you can go to prochurchtools.com slash mountain because it, it is a nice diagram to see and look at it, but I will paint you the picture. There are four layers on this mountain, and just think of it as a triangle. At the top of the triangle is the summit. We call this the crossover. 
The crossover is when you can tangibly point to your online efforts translating to in-person. To get there, there are these three layers that we have to scale. And we call it a mountain. Think about climbing a mountain, okay? You got to get to each layer one by one. The base layer, we call no weeks off. Every church that affects life change online does it differently, but the one constant is they're all consistently creating great content for their community. And what we found is very few churches are actually able to achieve this layer on their own indefinitely. Because what happens is we all wear multiple hats in ministry. So you get a burst of inspiration. You watch a video of mine, you're like, oh, uh-huh. we have this great idea. But then you get pulled onto a different project and your or attention this is this was a great series, but the next one? Ugh. Oh, ooh, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's the giving one. I don't know uh-huh. how I'm going to do it. And then you stop posting. And then you don't ever get to see what the next few layers of the social ministry mountain might look like because you have to start again from the bottom. So no weeks off. No weeks off. You're not an influencer. You don't need to post every day. Find a sustainable rhythm that your church can achieve wow. indefinitely. Even if it's just once or twice a week, that's fine. You don't even post every day. Two to four times per week, really. And it's yeah. my full-time job. This is what my profession is dedicated to. Okay. Once we've got no weeks off, then what we're looking for is what we call a viral for me post. So level one, no weeks off. Level two, viral for me. A viral for me post is anything that you publish that reaches 10x the audience of a typical post of yours. So if you're normally reaching 200 people, a viral for me post is one that reaches 2,000. And because all these platforms are rewarding good content with extra organic reach, this is realistic. The more of these that we stockpile, the sooner we can get to the third level the final level before the crossover. And this is called the 10X growth rate. The 10X growth rate is defined as, and it's a lot of numbers. I know you should stay with me, okay? Stay with me. 4% growth on any social platform. So 4% new followers. Pretty modest on its own, but when you combine it with no weeks off and it compounds over five years, that will add up to 10X growth. So 500 followers today, becomes 5,000 in five years. And I just want to really emphasize this. In the previous era of social, this type of growth would have been unrealistic unless you had an extremely famous pastor or spent a ton of money on ads, but it is now realistic for any church of any size. And then the final level from there is the crossover. Yeah, the crossover. And and to be clear, you can see crossover events at any point along the social ministry mountain, but the higher you get up, the more predictable they become, the more frequent they become. These are visitor cards being returned. Hey, heard about your church on social. Conversation in the lobby with the pastor. Uh, Oh, we were following your church online before we came and visited in person. Or the one that we already mentioned that we're seeing more and more, very curious, pastors being recognized in their community throughout the week, grocery store, doctor's office, wherever it might be. So that that is fascinating to me. So the social graph era, 15 Mm years-ish, Ended in 2020, we're now into the Discover discover era where you can be discovered pretty naturally on social. Any idea how long that's going to last? I know that's impossible to predict the future. I just told you, I don't want to make predictions, Carrie. Exactly. Here you are. Exactly. How exactly. long will it last? Yeah, this is... this Until does someone changes the algorithm. Yeah, you right? know, there is that kind of like pervasive idea about, oh, social is changing every day. This is one of those macro changes. It's not like a micro change that's going to be undone and reverted. We have been on the trajectory towards recommended content being a huge part of our feed for many, many years now. It's just that there was a platform that came out that forced Meta to do something different. Right, which was TikTok. We had never seen that before. Meta was just like, all oncomers, swat you away. Until they couldn't. And they invested uh, like billions of dollars into building a better algorithm to compete with this new one that was taking, taking them on. Well, I saw another graph recently where it's like hours viewed of Netflix in a typical day and then TikTok. And it was like, it was crazy. It was like the earth and the moon. Like Netflix was so small compared to TikTok. But you said something really interesting to me earlier before we started filming. You said, you know, you went all in on TikTok, found it a little bit difficult to gain momentum. What is your counsel for churches on TikTok? Because it really is a younger, like, late teens, early 20s demographic on TikTok. And a lot of churches are struggling in that area. Should you bother with TikTok? What, what, what's, what's your thought? I will preface this by saying that I am sympathetic and understanding of people that are worried about TikTok. Yeah. Both sides of the aisle in America are open to restrictions or an outright ban on TikTok. They've been talking about it for a while. Nothing's happened as of yet. Right. 
I have never had a social platform in my own country, so I'm always giving foreign countries my information. And, and <laughs> yeah, I yeah. get that the people, uh, People's Republic of China is different from the United States. I'm being a bit glib here. So with that being set aside, we recently polled our audience. And keep in mind, our audience is people that come to me to help their church with social and digital. So this is not average church. This is like the social media savvy part of the church world. And I asked Early them, adopters. Is your church on Facebook? Like 90% yes. Is your church on Instagram? 90% yes. Is your church on YouTube? 90% yes. Is your church on TikTok? 10% yes. Wow. I truly was blown away. I did not anticipate that. I have been recommending churches since 2018. You can find YouTube videos. Get on TikTok. We grew our platform to 100K on TikTok pretty quickly, and it's really stagnated. And I think a big part of that is that churches really haven't made the leap to that platform. And it, frankly, it, it, it makes me sad because if I think about a generation, this is their platform, and they are being discipled on that platform, not by us, because we're choosing not to go there. People are like, well, what do you mean by being discipled? Let me let me read between the lines. I think you're saying they're being discipled by consumer brands, by influencers. So in other words, it's sort of the point David Kinman makes. You're being discipled. You're just being discipled by the internet. Yeah, precisely. There are ideologies, there are worldviews, there are value systems that they are being discipled into at their most formative and impressionable ages. So only 10%, you know, that's almost identical to the statistic that Glue and Barna discovered for pastors using AI intentionally every day. About 10% of pastors say they use it daily or weekly. So TikTok and AI, same category, same level of adoption. Yeah, and emerging tech, you know, like you said, we're not typically the 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 industry that jumps on it. And you know what? Fair. You know what else is another? There are other slow adopting industries. Education, healthcare, yeah. politics. It's not just religious institutions like sure, us sure. as churches, but we're typically slow. That's fine. There. This feels different to me, though. There feels like there's this resistance to TikTok. There's this vitriol towards TikTok. I think a big part of that is just like, you know, American pride. We are not going to help another not help uh, a rival company. country. Yeah. yeah. Again, I'm sympathetic to all those things. I'm just as sympathetic to an entire generation, again, being left by themselves on their— that This is their platform. This is the one that is going to be theirs. It's as if no church was on Instagram. It would be strange. Yeah, yeah, it would be. You know, that's a really good point. So would you recommend most churches— Open up a TikTok account. Like I said earlier, if you're already going to be creating that vertical video content, if nothing else, start the TikTok account and publish it there. That pastor that was getting recognized in person, he went to the grocery store. The part of that story that I didn't tell you was that they, that guy said, my wife and I are new to this area. We're wanting to find a new church. We're coming to your church this week. Because he saw that pastor preaching on TikTok. And was this pastor like a 25-year-old pastor? No, they're, no. they're like young 40s, okay. I would guess. Yeah. yeah. So not exactly the target demographic for, uh, for TikTok. No, no, it's a smaller church, you know. Yeah. Cool. Okay, I want to talk about church online. So everybody had, went online in 2020, four years ago, right? That was a rude awakening. It was something like 30% of churches were online pre-pandemic. Now everybody's online. What are the trends, healthy and unhealthy, that you're seeing in church online? Well, what we always emphasize with Church Online is how are we allowing people to take their next step towards Jesus? I think that there's a lot of understandable uh, friction and concern about Church Online. Like, oh, does it create even more of a consumer on the other side? But then the other, you know, the counter argument to that is like, well, we want to be able to reach people. And we're not here to litigate Church Online. And we've, we've done that enough over the last few years. So we'll skip by that. <laughs> uh, I was talking with, uh, we had Life Church on our podcast and I was talking with them about what they do with online church. And what I found most fascinating with what they said, and I'll lean on their expertise there rather than my own, is that they have 131 services online yeah. every single week. And they're not on-demand services. They're ones that you join. And the reason for that is because they have a team of 400 volunteers that are on the services that you can chat with, that you can re request prayer with. So then I asked them, I was like, okay, 400 volunteers. Like, so how are you equipping as one of the most influential churches in the world, like these volunteers to like engage on the front lines yeah. of ministry? Yeah, great question. And so uh, Christina Ross, the host team pastor at, at Life Church that we were talking with, she was like, well, one thing that we do is every week we have these pre-written scripts that are uh, related to the subject matter that Pastor Craig or whomever is preaching that week is preaching on. 
So that way, like when we make prompts in the chat, it's not just like, let's worship. It's right. something that's related to what's coming. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I was like, I'm going to press on this. No. What happens when someone says, what are your beliefs on this? I was like, what, you got just like these volunteers like answering this? She's like, no, no, what we have instead are links to Calendly where you can book a call with a pastor. And she said, after my podcast today, I have four calls that people made on Calendly, book a time with a pastor. And we sit down with these people one-on-one to talk through their issues or concerns or whatever they need to talk to a pastor about. And I'm like, okay, I understand that Life Church is big, but it's proportionate. And they're almost certainly bigger than you are relative to their resources because they have mm-hmm. such a huge footprint. So that means that they are prioritizing using online church as a springboard to talk to people one-on-one online, but like as pastoral care. So look at their emphasis. Not like you would think maybe this big church, and maybe I was cynical about this. Oh, big church, like it's just about watch our brand, see our amazing programming. No, it's all a springboard for spiritual engagement, for spiritual practice, for community, pastoral care. It's so good uh, to see what Life Church is doing and directing people if there's no Life Church in the area to like getting baptized locally with another church, et cetera, et cetera. What are you seeing for normal sized churches, like as as far as church online? Let's think of a church of 200 people, which 85% of churches are smaller than that. So, best practices, worst practices for church online? So uh, my, my, my opinions on this have been uh, historically controversial yeah. and haven't changed too much despite the pandemic. But my belief is that for most small to mid-sized churches, there are superior options to invest in than online church when it comes to fulfilling the mission of your ministry. And, and to me, that's what this is always about, effectiveness. Not, uh, at, the, not at the expense of efficacy, but right. effectiveness, so long as it aligns with your mission. Hey, Life Church, you know, anything short of sin, let's go there. Um, so we've talked about a ton of strategies for taking your sermon and repurposing it for social media right. in ways that will reach people. The discovery is built in and baked in. It is one out of 100 churches that will prioritize that over an online church service. And I think that if you choose to prioritize online church, I get it. You know, we all basically look at the church down the street and go, I'm not an expert in this. I, I'm, I'm, church is hard. There's another Sunday coming. Did you know that? There's another yeah. Sunday coming. I, they, that's what they do. It seems like that's what most people are doing. Why would I try something different? So what we're always interested in are the churches that are like, well, this seems to be more effective for less cost of resources and time and volunteers. So let's try that instead. So my recommendation would be, you know, instead of producing maybe this nicer polished online church service, it's okay to have a private feed or a private stream where people can check out your right. church. And by check out, I mean, oh, we're part of this church, but we're traveling. We're part of this church, but we're bedridden. We're part of this church, but we're, we're out of town. And we still want to feel like we're part of it. Great. Set up the camera, let them watch it. But to put together a really nice polished online church service that leaves a great first impression— uh, the, the cost to entry is higher. You got to be a certain level of church in terms of production and excellence to be able to pull that off beautifully. And I'll leave this here. I understand it's an unpopular opinion. Uh, and most churches are already invested in this. Like, look, we spent the 10 Gs, so we're not going to stop now. But my foundational belief that has not changed pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, mid-pandemic, maybe mid-pandemic, doesn't count, pre and post, discovery on social media and reaching new people the opportunity there is so much more immense than uh, with, with online church. Wow. Um, let's talk about AI. Sure. So big, big developing story. What are you seeing in terms of trends for AI in churches? So uh, we put together like AI policy for churches. Oh, cool. Um, that we thought was, was useful because what typically happens is we would have a conversation with a church and they'd be like, like, how do I wrap my mind around this new technology right. and its implications? My, my belief on that is always, let's set some parameters to like put this like in a box that we can at least approach. And then we can kind of work within that. And I wanted to make sure I didn't get these, uh, these parameters around. So it's really just two questions that uh, you can ask yourself. Parameter number one, why are we using AI? And to me, my answer is AI can be a useful shortcut. And yeah. Parameter number two, what are our boundaries for AI? And then what I've always said is we will not use AI as our exclusive source. So here are a couple examples of that. That's just parameters, abstract examples. I think if you were to write a description for your church, 
we are uh, Life Church in uh, you know Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we are passionate about reaching people that are far from God. You could put that into AI, have them it rewrite it, and now you have a nice paragraph for your church's about us page on your website. You know, you, you might sit down and you look at your about us page and like, what, what's supposed to go on an about us page? Maybe Boom. you don't know. As long as you're not using AI as your exclusive source and you're not because you wrote a sentence for it, there was this really uh, chilling uh, case study of this. Uh, there was this lawyer named Stephen Schwartz, I think was his name. And he was an American lawyer and he used ChatGPT in a case that he was trying and he used it as a search engine. Hey, what are some cases that would support the verdict that I'm trying to get? They try the case and he's citing these until the defense is like, we don't know what cases you're referencing. And it turns out, and this was in the New York Times. This isn't some obsession. It's hallucinating. It turns out that AI just invented it. Yep, yep. So like- Should have checked LexisNexis, right? Using yeah. AI as a search engine uh, seems quite untrustworthy. And yeah. so like, as long as you have the source material and then you're asking it to riff on it, we love that. Because then it becomes a shortcut. You could have done that yourself. You just saved 10 minutes. The other thing I've been thinking about, we did a whole series on AI and I don't want to go too deeply into it, uh, but we did that a few months ago on the podcast. But I've also been thinking about the loss of the creative brain. Like you and I were talking earlier before we went on mic, I find it fantastic at generating alternate titles. For example, I have something I want to call an article or a caption for a website, like give me 15 variations of this, be creative. Boom, it's like, whoa, that's pretty amazing. Like stuff that I wouldn't have thought of myself on my own. But I'm, what I'm worried about is if that becomes, because we all as writers or thinkers stare at a blinking cursor. And then if you're just staring at AI or like write me an article on, do you lose that that like initial mover of mm. this is where my message is going to go. This is where this video is going to go. I wonder about that. Have you thought about that at all? Yeah, certainly. Like I'm the more riffing about it. The intangible elements of like the creative process and how yeah. it might hijack that in a negative way. Because it's hard, man. It's hard to produce content. You yeah. know that. You've been doing it for a decade. I've been preaching for 30 years. And there's something about that wrestling, I think, mm. that I don't want to lose in the midst of it. Yeah, and I think that for me, the boundaries that I put in place is I let AI do the grunt work that I don't want to do. There's a There was a famous, in our company, a famous thing that I asked our employees to do once. We were moving our website archive from one to another. And- okay. We had our podcast and I was like, guys, you know what we should do? We should transcribe every podcast. And we've been podcasting for like both of us, like yeah, for yeah. 10 years. Like we, yeah. we had a lot, you know, 750 shows. And this was five to seven years ago. And so it wasn't quite 750 shows then. But we used this tool and this was like early AI. Right. And what it did was it would transcribe for like $3 instead of like for $60 if you had a person do it. And I had had every single one of our employees go through and look at that $3 transcription and fix it. And we spent like three weeks on it. And, and, and they still talk about it. They're like, remember? Remember what you made us do? Uh -huh, you made us uh -huh. sit down and do... Nowadays, AI does that instantly in the video applications we use. Almost to perfection. Yeah, almost perfectly. So that's the grunt work that like, oh, I love that AI does that. Uh, Lightroom for photo editing. It has begun using... Uh, AI denoising. So instead of just a denoise slider, it goes less noise, yes or no, zero to 100 scale. It will intelligently detect noise, detect what kind of noise, because there's different type of noise. Right. The color, it could be luma, which means like brightness values, and it will intelligently uh, denoise. You can upscale, enhance an image that isn't great. Here's one, one way we love using it. We will, after we create a vertical video for a church from a sermon, we want to create a cover, like a thumbnail. Yeah. But- typically the frame that we're working with, like that's not a professional photo. We'll grab a frame and upload it to a tool called Remini, R-E-M-I-N-I, -I, might be Remini, and it will upscale and basically like polish, basically like resurrect that frame into as if it was like- taking with HD yeah. image. And you know what? One of the 10 times, it makes the preacher's face go berserk. But nine out of 10 times, it works perfectly and takes just seconds. So we love, that's another reason like, oh, I love using AI for that. Okay, um, metrics. I get this question a lot and I'm not sure how to answer it. I mean, historically churches have been, well, how many people showed up? What was the offering? 
and new members, baptisms, et cetera, et cetera. Digital metrics seem to be all over the place. Any thoughts on the numbers that you should be tracking in 2024 from what we know now? Yeah, there is still not a perfect metric to say X amount of views equals this much future giving at my church, this many butts and seats, this many say uh, souls saved. Of course, none of these things are um, yes. quantifiable. And and because we serve in church where uh, our missions are dedicated to the existential matters of life, you know, look, Carrie and I have known each other for a decade. You know, we're, we're acquaintances. Nice. I don't actually know anything about Carrie, truly. I can't. No one can know the heart of someone else truly. Right. And so how could we then say that digital can necessarily perfectly translate to something? That's not meant to be despairing, and it's also not meant to question at all Sure. the status of your soul, Carrie. I saw oh, your face you, when I said you. that. Yeah. It looks— Yeah. I'm like, uh, I just had a rough night last <laughs> night. We okay. just had lunch I'll together, and we now he's like, yeah. I, I, who could know Carrie? <laughs> the social ministry mountain that we went off of earlier exists to basically broadly put you— where are you on those four layers? Are you already committed to no weeks off online? If you are, that's great. If not, that's the metric you need to define your efforts by first. Viral for me. Have you had a viral for me post? Just to be clear, only about three to 5% of the posts you publish are going to be viral for me. Huh. My Instagram went from at the beginning of 2023, 40,000 followers. I had been on Instagram for 10 years. I'm in a small niche of church and digital. At the end of 2023, around 90,000. I didn't change much. That was just the discovery algorithms pushing it, pushing all that content out. Here's what's more amazing. Only three to five of my 200 posts that year were viral for me posts. It was that sliver that were the catalyst for all the growth. Only three to five. Yeah. Blew it all up. So have you had a viral for me post? That's kind of, and then if you have, are you at that uh, 10X growth rate? Are you growing at 4% each month? And then catalog, document, and shout it from the mountain and the pulpit every single crossover event that you can. You don't necessarily need to announce it from church, but in your staff meetings. That family, they came from this. Make sure that you're celebrating when you do see those crossover events because they are worth celebrating. So that's how I like to, to do the metrics. So that's way better than just looking at the views you had on YouTube or the number of comments you would have on a typical post, etc. It's, it's, it's more holistic. Yeah. Okay. What have we not touched on that you think we should talk about when it comes to trends on social, digital in 2024? Ooh, things that are worth talking about. Let me see if I wrote down anything else in my own notes. Hmm. That was a good one. I uh, like to think of the discipline of digital in the terms of learning the violin and playing tennis. Okay. And this is a helpful reminder to people as they like dive into this and they get incredibly frustrated as they will surely do. Um, the violin is a discipline that you can read about and learn about and understand that this is how this works. Tennis is a game where you can know your own skills and abilities perfectly, but they really only matter in the context of your opponent. Huh. And what's amazing about tennis is like you can hit the perfect 120 mile per hour serve in the perfect spot. And when your opponent knows it's coming, they're already prepared to beat you on that point. So then you have to anticipate what they might do and then adjust. But they're anticipating your anticipation. It becomes this amazing game of cat and mouse. This is what digital ministry and social ministry is. You approach something and you're like, this is what I think will work. And then it does until it doesn't. This is what I think will work. It doesn't. I don't think this will work. It does. And you keep getting these inputs from like what you put into it. It keeps coming, kind of coming back. You get this constant. And, and for me, I'm a bit of a sicko. This is why I love it so much. Like it's this just video game. It's this game that I, it's this mountain that I can never climb fully. The social ministry mountain, right? You get, you got, it's, it's just, it's fascinating. And so understanding it in that way is, is, is really healthy because what churches and pastors tend to do is they come to it and they're like, I did what I was supposed to do and it didn't work. It didn't work. I hear that all the time. It's not the violin. It's, yeah. it, it's a tennis match. And you tried something and you learned something from it. So now you have to get back to it. And the churches that do this the best, and this is why No Weeks Off is the foundation. No Weeks Off. If you commit to No Weeks Off, you will get the feedback from what you're doing. You will right. see the stories of life change. You'll understand what's working, what's not working. And then you'll continue to learn. And it's this never ending, you know, it's, it's, it's just like preaching, I'm sure. I mean, respect. do you find this? You, you kind of hinted at it earlier too, even with preaching, it's the off the cuff stuff. Most of my breakthrough moments have been accidental. 
They've been accidental. It's like, well, I didn't think that would work. Or That's I thought post. this would work. I thought this was going to be incredible. I thought it would crush. I thought it was amazing. Not even my mom liked it. And then, you know, you do this thing. It's like, I don't know that we should even publish this. And then boom, it, it blows up. Crazy. That's Crazy. the post that blew yeah. up? That's the one? Okay. That's the one? Yeah. yeah. It's like bands. It's like, that would be the hit. Are you kidding me? Now, I guess we have to play that song every show until we die. Oof. Yes, we do. Right? So, Brady, this is great. You've given us so much value. So, Pro Church Tools, where can we connect with you? Yep, ProChurchTools.com is the website. You can search my name on any social platform. If you're if you're Gen Z, join me on TikTok. Yeah, exactly. If you're on Instagram, uh, Millennial, I'll see you on Instagram. If you're Boomer, we're on Facebook. And then for everyone, join us on YouTube. Podcast is there in video form and then our main channel as well. Awesome. We'll link to everything in the show notes. Brady, thank you so much. Thank you. That was a rich conversation. And we've got it on YouTube. Also, uh, we got show notes for you as well. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 625, where you will also find transcripts. We offer those absolutely free thanks to the partners that we have on this podcast. And if you've been enjoying either this episode or this series, how about you let a friend know? Maybe share this episode with a friend, post it to social. Sometimes, especially if you tag me and we see that you posted it to social, we will repost it on my channels. So I uh, would love for you to do that. And thank you for leaving ratings and reviews. Really makes a difference. And of course, if you're new to the podcast, as a lot of you are typically in January, subscribe and you'll never miss an episode and you're not going to miss the next one or you're not going to want to because I've got John Mark Comer back on the podcast. We're going to wrap up the Church Trends series and we talk about all things discipleship why weekend sermons and services aren't resonating like they used to. And then, of course, as I always do with John Mark, we get into the personal stuff. I met him at his home in LA. We had a great conversation. We are going to talk about real motives and also why he's no longer traveling and speaking. Uh, Yeah, I think uh, John Mark Comer is someone who is on trend and a little bit ahead. Here's an excerpt. Part of my underwhelm with Sunday services is just that I'm you know, not that far down the spiritual path, but I'm not 25 anymore. Mm-hmm. And sitting through a sermon series on whatever is not as life-changing for me at this point in my journey as it was at that point in my journey. I'm a little bit less emotion-driven now at this point. Mm-hmm. The, the problems I'm facing in my, you know, sin that's in my body are much deeper and are not solved by information and inspiration for the most part. I need, I need I'm way too messed up for that. And it's a much, much deeper stuff that it's working, that Jesus is working on in me now. And, um, and then I think part of it, and this is embarrassing, but there is just the American consumer mentality that is the air we breathe. It's like breathing secondhand smoke. I can't help but imbibe the consumerism of our culture. And in a TED Talk, internet-based podcast world, you know, unless if your local preacher is John Tyson or, you know, a couple of years, you know, not that long ago, Tim Keller, it's pretty hard to not be a little bit bored. That's coming up. And then back to our regularly scheduled programming, and we'll kick that off with John Ortberg. Oh my gosh, what a great, rich conversation. I had with John. Can't wait to get that into your AirPods. Kara Powell's also coming up. Craig Rochelle, the aforementioned Craig Rochelle, Jamie Kern Lima. We've also got Jenny Allen and a whole lot more coming up. And if you want to continue the conversation on church trends, I'd love to get your feedback. So obviously we did my seven church trends to kick it off, but now I'm just talking to leaders I really respect and admire and getting multiple perspectives to hopefully help you and your team gain an edge and really make progress in your mission. If you enjoyed this, would you shoot me a note at Kerry at kerrynewhoff.com? Tell me whether this is something you want us to do on a regular basis. It's an experiment. First time we've done it. And of course, I've got the team guide for you at the link in the podcast description. So if you haven't yet accessed that, stop listening right now. Look at the link in the description and you can download it for free for you and your team. Hey, I'm really grateful we get to do this. Thank you so much. You guys are the best audience in the world. I'm so thankful for you. And uh, well, I hope our conversation today helped you identify and break a growth barrier you're facing.